hate you both. I've hated you ever since I can remember. I hate you, and I wish you both had cancer. Cancer? Yes, in the head. <gasps> I'm as bad as hell, and I'm not going to take this anymore! Pay no attention to that man behind the curtain! Are you telling me you built a time machine? Out of a DeLorean? This is the stupid answer. Uh-oh. Sounds like somebody's got a case of the Mondays. <laughs> Don't worry, I got an idea. And now, the host of the Stupid Cancer Show, Matthew Sack. Woohoo! Not that there's anything wrong with him. Because he has a lot of chit spot. <laughs> oh, right. Hello and welcome to episode 378 of the Stupid Cancer Show, the voice of young adult cancer. I'm your host, Matthew Zachary, a proud 20-year young adult brain cancer survivor coming to you now from the chemo deck, our fabulous studio in downtown Manhattan. Broadcasting since 2007, the Stupid Cancer Show is a production of Stupid Cancer, the largest charity comprehensively addressing young adult cancer online at stupidcancer.org. I'm Kenny Kane, co-founder of Stupid Cancer, welcoming all of our first-time and returning listeners. Never miss an episode by subscribing to the podcast on iTunes and following us on SoundCloud. It is not okay that 72,000 young adults are diagnosed with cancer each and every year. So, got cancer under 40? Sucks, huh? Time to get busy living, folks, because the Stupid Cancer Show is changing the world one chemo infusion at a time. The great show lineup, Keynotes to Life. At the height of her career as an Air Force colonel and physicist, Jana One was diagnosed with ovarian cancer and given one month to live. Always a great story. Deanna joins us tonight uh, to discuss her strong passion for providing help to those who seek to heal in mind, body, and spirit to lead a life of purpose. And Survivor Spotlight on Hannah Klitzberg, my comrade-at-arms at Hasenfeld here in New York City, brainstem Leoma Survivor. All right, let's kick off the show here with a full house and a special in-studio drop-in guest. Hello, Kenny. Hello. I understand that you have a vehicle to pick up this week. I'm getting the Stupid Cancer Road Trip car. Which is? A 2016 Chevy Super Sport Camaro. You know, that has 500 horsepower. You know. I think it's 425, but it might as well be. Yeah, right. Uh, anything over uh, 150 is more than I'm used to. You are, uh, yeah, because you drive like a Corolla, uh, right? I'm, no, I'm used to the smart cars in Brooklyn. <laughs> right, yeah, exactly. Well, we're uh, we're gearing up and we're ready for you. I hope the rest of the country is as well. Uh, yes. StupidCancerRoadTrip.org. That's correct. And 12 meetups, right? Yep. Uh, which we will go through uh, during the news. During the news. Yes, exactly, exactly. And hello, Mallory. Hello. You are right? I am just dandy. Just dandy. Back to the dandy. I'm back to dandy. We'll, we'll see. I might just have to alternate week to week. Yes. Yeah, we were discussing how I sent you, you uh, the Hamilton nerds and all of us. I am a hamophile. Yes. Yes. I got addicted to the soundtrack while I was on a, a flight. Man, that's good stuff. It, it it just makes me so happy. <laughs> I could literally talk about it for days. It's really good stuff. And you, you did see it or you haven't? You got haven't seen it yet. Aren't there like $10 ticket raffles or something? I enter daily. <laughs> I have never won. Okay. Eventually, it will happen, and it will be the happiest moment of my life. Fantastic. I'll... Angel won. I know. He did? I, I, need to, yep. I need to steal some of his juju, because he said that he just woke up one morning and said, I'm going to win, and he won. So I, I told him if he ever has that feeling again, he's required to contact me immediately. I, I, I'm, I got dibs on that one. And that voice you're hearing is <laughs> Marianne Stefan, our drop-in guest, she prior guest here on the show, which she's happened to be here, and we said, stick around. How are you this lovely evening? But why did I just happen to drop in? Because you happen to have gotten a check from a major donor, and we are incredibly grateful, A, for his or her, I don't know the 
gender. His he's the trustee of a uh, the foundation called the J. Penny Gould Foundation, and um, the reason why the name of the foundation is important is because she had um, issues as a young adult, and she has passed away. So the foundation does a lot of charity work, and um, the donor, the trustee of the foundation wants to really give money to charities that do good work. So I put on the big girl panties today and <laughs> and just bought made the up ask. You and, made the ask. And, and they said yes. Yeah. Yeah. Good for you. You know how many years out of you? You had gynecologic cancer. Four years. Uh my hysterectomy was four years ago last Tuesday. March fifteenth, two thousand twelve. Thank you for the round. We like our cancerversaries. Uh, my NED cancerversary is September 7th. Okay. So that's the big one that I really celebrate. Um, but, yeah, it, it's, you you know, March 15th, 2012 was the day I ceased to ever become a, a mother of my own biological children, um, which will really mess you up in the head um in this community you know that i keep consistently having conversations with people and, and you you think nine years later it would never end well why young adults and the number one issue i say is well fertility and like oh i get it like it's the, like this one word answer the question why granted that's not the only reason we focus on what is the principal hook i guess if i could be that guy saying a hook as to why we focus on young women and men, specifically in their fertile years. So, yes. Yeah. Gynecologic cancer in your fertile years. Put those two together. Yeah. Ding, ding, ding. Exactly. Well, we're glad you're here. Chime in anytime. Thank you for having me back. I love I love you guys. I, I love being here. And you had a loose body. Uncle, a mayor loose body, I heard. I did. Uh, just randomly, he was like booking it down Lexington <laughs> Avenue. <laughs> And I just wanted to be like, Lou! Yeah. But he looked in, in a in a hurry, so I will... He wasn't him... in a hurry, just a power walk. <laughs> he he had a very determined look yeah. on his face, so Probably I... trying to catch the bus. He was trying to catch the bus, actually, yeah. And, and that's why I didn't stop him. But, so I will give him tons of hugs at I told him, No, I told him you saw him when I saw him this weekend. I showed him your photo. He's like, oh, she should have said hello. It's like you were like Mr. Speed Bullet oh, yeah. running down Lexington. Yeah. Well, he's got tons of hugs <coughs> in his future at CancerCon. Yeah. Speaking of CancerCon, sold out waiting list. Woohoo! One month away. Oh, that means the road trip is <laughs> like not a month away. No. It's, it's a little more than a month. Five it's, weeks. It's it's like thirty five days. Okay. Okay. Let's, let's not jump the gun. <laughs> but all things are coming together. It's very exciting. It's happening. I'm back on welcome committee. By the way. Okay. We have better shirts this year. For the welcome committee. Not the, hey, look at my giant body, chest, t-shirt, inappropriate design stuff. It'll be much better this year. You can wear the shirts out in public without people asking you questions. That's <laughs> the most important. Yeah, you're not the information <laughs> kiosk person at JCPenney walking wearing the shirt. <laughs> yeah, it was, it was, I own my bad decisions. It was one of them. Hiring Kenny was the second. Mm -hmm. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so the road trip coming up, CancerCon coming up. Uh, we have our D Denver fundraiser at uh, toast.stupidcancer.org. We'd like to thank Genentech for being our first corporate sponsor. And I understand we have some uh, bronze sponsors that came in. Sean is not joining us tonight. But, uh, yeah, we, if you'd like to just support the organization as a fundraiser to, uh, to donate to toast.stupidcancer.org. Um, but, uh, yeah, that's kind of all we have any other news uh oh this weekend was the half marathon oh that's right oh my goodness you're right yeah epic props to our runners uh sean sent a very nice email to all of them thanking them they all wrote back what a great group and i was just talking to someone who we apparently we had a little contingency at the finish line that we didn't know about like a bunch of stupid cancer people just went to the finish line and watched our people cross the finish line and that's always a nice feeling super cool I there's nothing like running 13 miles and having someone cheer you on so that you actually want to finish and not crawl into the corner and cry 
as you typically do when you're running yes. 13.1 miles. And the little known secret of stupid cancer is that Kenny ran the half marathon. I did. Congratulations. <laughs> not, not recently. No, no, not recently. Maybe five years ago. When you had no uh, no boundary issues. No sense of uh, self, self-preservation. self <laughs> If you've ever done it. And you didn't train either. That was an interesting it's, day. It's fun. It is fun. Yeah. You, when you're done, you feel real good about yourself, <laughs> and then you want to pass out yeah, on the ground. Yeah, then we kill yourself. Exactly. Exactly. <clears throat> well, okay. Let's uh, kick off our show. We have our... First in-studio guest live sitting right next to me here, Hannah Klitzberg. Diagnosed with an inoperable brainstem glioma and secondary hydrocephalus a week after her seventh birthday. She's now 24 and a half years old and graduated Marymount Manhattan College last May with a BA in studio arts. Really wonderful woman. Please welcome to the show, Hannah Klitzberg. Hello, Hannah. We're so glad. We love our in-studio guests. Yes, thank you for having me. There's nothing quite like making eye contact with people that you're interviewing versus on Skype, which is still good. But uh, I didn't realize, because we can discuss to the ends of the earth how our brains are jello, but (laughs) we met, what, like four years ago? Yeah, in 2012. There was a a boat cruise thing for NYU Hassenfeld. Survivorship, yeah. That I apparently spoke at or something. Yes, and you were promoting uh, stupid cancer, which I was, I wasn't into at the time, but now I'm kind of into it. <laughs> it's like really, and the podcasts on iTunes, I listen to them all the time. We have one listener, folks. One listener, two. Marion's two listeners. Confirmed two listeners. Yeah, things were just getting started back then. It was it was the year that we went from the I'm Too Young for This Cancer Foundation to Stupid Cancer, and no one knew what that meant prior to, and then once we rebranded, Kenny helped me pull all of that together. Mm-hmm. Uh, Facebook was very kind to us to let us change all of our accounts to Stupid Cancer. Yeah, that was a really seminal year mm-hmm. for, for us. Um, and we have the same pediatric neuro-oncologist, yes, Dr. Je- Jeffrey Allen. Yeah. Good guy. Yeah, he's... He- He's pretty cool. I like him. Yep. I, I, I was mentioning, and, and by the way, your, your parents are across the hall. Yes. In an undisclosed location. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> we can discuss having parents Oy. and going through cancer. <laughs> Jewish parents, no less. We can bond over that. Yes. But let, let's go back. I mean, do you even remember being seven? I mean. Yeah. I, it's, although it, I remember the uh, traumatic events of whole process of what I went through. I remember the traumatic process of childhood. I remember going to camp and tripping over myself. I remember just going to camp, not being able to participate in the daily events like the sports because I would automatically faint or, you know, the kids, even the kids, you know, they would would be kind of mean. Sure. Yes. Well, they're mean when you're well, let alone yeah, mean when you're not it's well. Like, and yeah, it's, and then when I was about seven, like you said, karma bit one of the people in the butt that made fun of me. So I like, not that you can like, but I think what's interesting about your story is you went from being a right handed person to a lefty. Mm-hmm. How did that happen? I have no idea. It's that is kind of mysterious to me as well because I remember if I I can recall I remember just like being right-handed one minute and then like slowly putting the pencil that I was doing my homework with in my left hand and just scribbling with it I remember, and that's how it all started. So you have had this sort of creativity bone in your body, but it really started to come out post-treatment. Oh, yeah. Yep. And it has been there since 2000. So did you start sketching? Did you draw? How did this manifest? Um, I started uh, copying pictures on the wall, like paintings, and then I started making my own things and then I and then I started 
then when I went to college, it's like, okay, you got to do this on your own. It's, it's like, really, they put, a, let's say, a bowl of fruit in front of you or, you know, a piece of, uh, like a, I don't know, an example would, I don't know what an, an, an artistic example would be, but let's say a skull, and we'd have to actually do it physically with a chalk or a charcoal and that would be you know we we'd have to figure it out on our by ourselves yeah and now i'm doing a photoshop and illustrator and you know i'm doing things on my tablet it's in, it's very interesting i mean it it, it speaks to how kind of you know you- I was given six months to live. You know, you were told your tumors, and I like every. And then our, our our main guest here was given three months to live with a variant. Like it's always that story. You'll never do anything. You're doomed. You know, and and you recovered and you got through mm. it. And so, and you were so young at the time. How did that sort of reintegration back into school? Were you homeschooled or went back to public school? I. That's a funny story. Um. Well, when I was diagnosed, I was in a public school right near my uh, house, PS 175, and uh, I went to a private school the next year for kids with learning disabilities, and that's how everything, you know, I was dropped into that school, or should I say gently placed, and then I scooted into the high school in this in 2005 and then I graduated in 2010 so can we talk about deficits because cancer can be the gift that keeps on giving it's a reality that a lot of people don't understand yeah and when you don't look sick which you clearly don't look sick yeah it's the worst thing yeah that's true that's true what what have you had to deal with over the years um, hmm. Let's see. Well, it's well, sometimes I I can't I don't I'm not an organized person. I'm trying to become an an organized person, but I I I somehow can't. It's like really I look at organized people like, "Oh, they must have played Tetris as as kids." <laughs> How do they do it? So it's like, really, that's how I think of organized people. But then it's like, okay, if they, it's it's just amazing. Tetris. That's how I think of organized people. My my, especially my my uh, mother. Right. Really. (laughs) Yeah. Well, we can talk about your parents i i mean i was 21 my dad was 47 you were seven your parents were probably in their in their 30s or 40s no my mom was 40 she's 40 years older than me so she was 47 my dad was 46 okay so but still Mm. that they have to deal with a seven-year-old child do you have siblings or were you i'm an only child okay I, i have cousins that are somewhat you know close to me in that regard Got it. So in terms of like the post-traumatic stress and meeting, did you get to meet? I understand with Hassenfeld, there's an organization that we had on the show called Making Headway, uh, founded by Maya and Edward Manley. I've been a part of that group since I was diagnosed. They were founded in 1997, the year after I was sick. And they're a great group. They do amazing work. Can you talk to us about how you met or got integrated with their with their programs? Um, I think I was about 10 or... 11 at the time when I went to my first uh, Making Headway Foundation event in uh, 2002 and uh, it was on Father's Day and that's how I we were introduced and then um, I I went to the you know I went to uh, Hassenfeld in their new location now, ever since I was 10, or excuse me, not 10, 12, 12, yeah. But you've met other, like during your time, the other teenagers going through this. Oh, yeah. You've got to network and find your community. Yeah, I've, I, and I'm friends with one of them, yeah. And now you're part of the stupid cancer universe that you can never escape. 
Yeah. Well, <laughs> definitely. <laughs> definitely. Yeah, I, I appreciate this very much. And uh, did you get the name from Ned from uh, what Homer Simpson says? Yes, I did. Oh, my God. She's the first person that didn't <laughs> have to ask the question, why is it called stupid cancer? Because it's what Homer Simpson would say if he were sick. Yeah, oh, my God. <laughs> it's that obvious. It's not even funny. It's just that obvious. Yeah, I, that's... Yeah, I... You know, I love The Simpsons. I love Back to the Future. I love all the movies that you like. Yes. Yeah. And yet you're like 20 years younger than me. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to be 25 in seven months, mm-hmm. which is kind of scary. I'm just thankful I haven't gone to a quarter-life crisis yet. Yeah. No, they come. Don't worry. They definitely come. Let's talk about your BA because you just graduated. That's a really big deal, a major milestone and for anyone, but for you who has to face these challenges. What did you study there, and how how was it uh, for you? Okay, well, I studied uh, two things, but I had had to drop one of them. I majored in two things. Dropped the the one that I liked the most. And I minded in art therapy. Had to drop that my last year. Um, that was interesting. That was interesting. I, I studied uh, studio art, and basically with, basically with that, you just have to okay draw the, let's say a ball or you know a vase or, let's say a skeleton again. On your own, you just got to figure out how to do that and do it the best way you can. Where do you draw your inspiration from? Well, in college, it was just right there in front of me. I'm looking at a lamp now. What do I see? I had to draw a lamp. So, but now that I don't have to go to you know college or to school anymore, my inspiration comes from. As the French artists would say, and plan from plein air. So that's that's it. Just pops out of my head. So what are you working on these days? Um, I have a friend who's working or helping me build a website that's got ba- basically all my electronic art on it, and I'm very interested in you know like uh, tattoo designs or you know. Anything like that, I was thinking about doing tattoo art be- for uh, vet uh, veterans of war or even uh, people who have amputees for medical reasons or, or even cancer survivors because they can have scars. It's the same thing. Hell yeah. Where's your scar? Here. In the back? Yeah, mine too. And on my stomach. Mm-hmm. So you had just the principal surgery back then, and you went on the Temidar regiment. Yes. Are you still on that? I don't think so. I'm, <laughs> okay. It's like, really? For, for, you know, for a number of years, 17, 18 years? I don't think so. So how often do you go back mm-hmm. to see Dr. Allen and get scans? I go to him every August, um, and that I've been doing that since I was in high school, since I was 13. Wow. So, yeah, that's that's big. Yeah, I, I'm I'm 20 years out. I'm going to go see him next month. Oh, okay. It, it's just the gift that keeps on giving. It's always yeah, it's, fun. Yeah, I guess it's, it's something that doesn't affect... Uh, it's not as long-lasting on kids, but it's long-lasting on an adult, so it's... It's kind of hard for an adult, and I can see how, you know, demanding it would be for for you. Well, I mean, it's it's a trigger. It's always a trigger. We it's use the always. phrase "scanxiety" here, and I know we can we can uh, wrap the interview up talking about post traumatic stress because mm-hmm. that's all it really is. Marion, you know, we talked about this extensively. There's nothing more stressful than the wake of dealing with consequences we're thankful to be here in the first place but now how do we and we always say how do we get busy living what does that mean to us yeah um you're asking me um yeah how do you 
get busy living. Clearly, you are a creative mind. You're doing great work. You you graduated from from college. That's a really big deal. Well, don't, don't undercut yourself. It's a really big deal. Yes. Well, um, how did how do I get started living? I work at a t- I have a part time job at you know this place in Manhattan. I'm just glad I have it, and I'm glad I'm starting to build up. I'm starting to build up financially, and I'm starting to build up for myself, my own account. I'm very happy I have it. That's all I'm gonna say. And you know, it's like one day I want to get my own apartment, and I want to, you know. I just really, I just, but it's, but it's difficult because it's like, I have this condition. How can I get away from it? Like being with your parents as a teenager, it's like, please don't do this. Not in front of my, you know, my high school chumps right? who didn't really mind it, but it's like, okay, I don't want you to do this. It's bad not All good right. so final question here mm-hmm. is uh you meet someone else that's young or had a, a brain stimulant or, or some kind of brain tumor brain cancer what is the message that you would like them to know based on what you do today don't give up just don't give up don't give up keep fighting the good fight you can make it couldn't said it better myself. Hannah Klitzberg, thank you so much for joining us. You're you're not going to be uh you're stuck for us forever. So you're never going away. Yay. But uh, thank you for joining <laughs> us again. I'm just speaking. Brainstem glioma survivor Hannah Klitzberg, thank you so much. All right, Kenny, and now the news. Hello, I'm Kent Brockman and this is I on Cancer. Just the facts, ma'am. Head on over to events.stupidcancer.org. That is events.stupidcancer.org. Sign up for meetup alerts and never miss an event again. If you'd like to learn more about hosting your own Stupid Cancer Meetup, visit stupidcancer.org forward slash meetup. All right. I'm exhausted just looking at this list. (laughs) Uh, We have a couple of Stupid Cancer Meetups, one in Anchorage, Alaska, one in Gilbert, Arizona, one in Anaheim, California, and then the Stupid Cancer Road Trip kicks off. And that will be happening in Boston, Buffalo, Columbus, Ann Arbor, Chicago, Milwaukee, Minneapolis, Billings, Seattle, Anchorage, Portland, and Salt Lake City. Gesundheit. And also New York and Denver on the bookends yet to be planned. No one should face cancer alone because isolation sucks. Download Instapeer for iPhone, iPad, and Android. Create your account and instantly start chatting with someone just like you, who's been there and walked in your shoes. Join our community of thousands of cancer patients, survivors, and caregivers right now on your mobile device. Instapeer. We launched a newsfeed aggregator on Tumblr for all the articles, blogs, and stories we couldn't possibly have the time to post on social media. Check out what we're reading 24-7 and don't miss a beat. Subscribe at stupidcancer.org forward slash feed. For young adults, clinical trials are a red-hot mess, so... We are throwing our hat in the ring to make some sense of the madness. Introducing I Am Not a Trial. Real young adults, real faces, and real stories plucked straight from the stupid cancer community. Watch the entire video series online now at IamNotAtrial.com. Support our programs and services by heading over to StupidCancerStore.org. You'll feel great and look great in your new stupid cancer gear. That's stupidcancerstore.org. Be proud. Wear stupid cancer. And that is your Stupid Stupid Cancer Cancer News. News. Deanna Wan is the founder of Keynotes to Life. She's a speaker, author, leadership consultant, and holistic health coach who inspires people to reach their highest potential through integrating leadership principles with purposeful and healthy living. She's also an Air Force colonel and physicist diagnosed with ovarian cancer who was once given one month to live. Gotta love the PR behind this. Please welcome to the Stupid Cancer Show, Deanna One. Hello, Deanna. Hello, Matthew. Thanks so much for having me on here. No, it's, it's a pleasure. I, I don't think in the history of the show, which is like nine years now, I've used the words Air Force Colonel, physicist, and ovarian cancer survivor in the same sentence. <laughs> That's cool. 
Well, thanks. We we, we had (laughs) veterans on the show before. One of our ambassadors in the L.A. area was in Afghanistan. He got leukemia because he was in charge of radiation um, Mm -hmm. checkpoints and stuff. So he got got honorably discharged, but he came home and had to deal with cancer and uh, slowly rebuilt his life. But I can only imagine cancer in the military, and it's a whole other ballgame. Yeah, absolutely. And I can definitely attest to the fact that I feel like I was also exposed to, um, you know, radioactive materials and that could well have contributed to my getting cancer as well. So you um, were, when did you join the uh, the military? Well, uh, it all started back in 1984. I uh, was selected to attend the uh, U.S. Air Force Academy which is like the West Point of the Air Force. And uh, so it's it's been a number of years. And then when I graduated four years later with my Bachelor of Science in Physics, that's when I, um, you know, was I received my second lieutenant uh, commission and uh, and have been serving for like uh, over 26 years. Very impressive. So let's let's talk. We have a, a drop-in guest uh, here tonight, Marianne Stephan, uh, who's one of our advocates here in New York City. But she had a gynecologic cancer as well, and we, we often talk about why is stupid cancer focused specifically on young adults, and fertility is a big thing when you're not eighty. So was was that something that you had to navigate through when you were diagnosed? Absolutely, yes, because um, when I was going in for surgery, my, the first surgeon that I talked to wanted to actually do a complete full of hysterectomy, and I said to him, uh, no, my preference is if there are any healthy organs in place that you leave it behind, leave it in my body, in other words, and he did not like that. He basically responded back to me and said, um, you know, um, I want to ensure that you have the best chance for success uh, with the surgery, and that's our standard, uh, you know, protocol. And so, um, you know, he told me um, in no uncertain terms, uh, if you don't want to do it this way, you can take your health care elsewhere. Wow. And, yes. <laughs> that's called bedside matter. You know, I, I, <laughs> I, know. I think that's really funny when you talk about the standard protocol, you know, because cancer is like snowflakes. Not, not any cancer is like anybody else's cancer. So, why is there a, a standard? Why is there a cancer protocol? Why is there right? Exactly. Why are we not having our oncologists look at us differently, like snowflakes? Because well, they're largely. So bedside matter, they're largely statisticians, and that's a little weird. Like, if you don't you don't want our business, go shop somewhere else. How did you react to that? Did you smack him? I basically did. I, I told him that um, I, I did not want him to do my surgery, and I promptly complained uh, against him and uh, told the hospital that uh, he was not going to cut on me and that I wanted a different surgeon. But not every patient is like Yeah, she came proactive. You, you came to the table proactive. Yes, that's right. I really feel that's important because I think that we ultimately should be responsible and have authority over our own bodies. And I think that too often patients, uh, you know, they kind of look to the doctors, and, and I do respect them, so I don't mean to bash them, but, you know, they, they give up full authority and responsibilities of, you know, their bodies over to the experts, Right, exactly. So ovarian has no symptoms that were, how did you know that you needed help? It's by accident. I was actually, uh, I just got out of the car in the parking lot. It was wintertime and I slipped on ice, went airborne, landed on my tailbone and promptly had to be taken to the hospital because they thought I had fractured my tailbone. And it was incident to that scan that they uh, said, oh, by the way, uh, it looks like you have a cyst on your left ovary. And that's how I found out. Well, that's karmic, wacky, insane. <laughs> I can't think of it adjectives. Is. It's terrible. That's ironically how my brother-in-law was diagnosed with urine sarcoma. He was, uh, he was uh, I think he was 13. He was on a skateboard. And he fell on his coccyx. And mm-hmm. he, went for a, he went for an x-ray. And they found urine sarcoma in his spine. So... I guess you and my, that's a, that's a rare club to be in. 
I fell on a, I, I fell on, you know, I just took a random slip and fall and got cancer. <laughs> I know. I know. That's interesting. So, all right. So you made the brave decision to give this guy the bird and you got the next person. Yes, I got the next person and I was grateful that he was respectful of my wishes. And I think, you know, ideally that's how it would be with all doctor patient relationships, that it's a, a partnership, you know, a team, uh, because ultimately it's, you know, it, it's my body that has to deal with the consequences of what goes on. And so, uh, he agreed, and um, you know, I even went so far as to tell him that even if I had swollen and red lymph nodes, uh, to to not sample them and to leave them in place, which I know they probably thought I was crazy, but I'd done enough research to, you know, know that the our lymph nodes it's such an important part of our um, immune system. Exactly. So, w was there a conversation about your reproductive risks? Uh. Well, yes, they, they definitely said that uh, if you leave these organs in place, that it does increase your chances for a recurrence. Uh, but I still, you know, I, I had to do what I felt more aligned with who I was um, internally. And so I, I said, that's fine, because I, I just believe that, you know, we don't have organs put in our body for just, you know, for people to take, you know, cut and take out. It's there for a purpose. And... May I ask if you are a parent now or are able to bear children? Do you know where you are in that spectrum? Um, I'm actually able to bear children still. Um, I'm not a parent, um, but uh, yeah, I, I always kind of want to keep all my you know doors open. Right again, because Marianne here and our friend, you know, they had hysterectomies, and it was the, kind of the doctor's decision to do that. Uh, I and I had a little. My, uh, I was actually type stage two, um, in the beginning and I actually had a little, um, little back and forth with my mother about keeping my ovaries. Right. Um, because I had a cervical tumor and the entire uterus, my, I had and have endometrial cancer, which is the lining of the uterus. Um, so my cervix and uterus were definitely out of it. Um, so I wanted to keep my ovaries. My mother was absolutely against it. I told my oncologist I wanted to keep them. And she strongly recommended having them go. And when they had done the surgery, when she did the surgery, uh, she found that I had cancer everywhere along my uh, abdominal cavity and on my bladder and the ovaries. So my entire reproductive system had to go and um, everything else was, uh, my bladder was fine. It was coated in, in cancer. So I was able to, uh, to have that in my abdomen um my my abdominal cavity uh spared because of the chemo so uh, uh diana your protocols then were did you have chemo or just the the surgery that just removed one ovary they just had the surgery and removed one ovary they wanted to do chemo a number of times and they wanted to do an additional major surgery but i declined um further treatment so you just had the surgery and then took the risk at this point. I'm sure they did. They make you feel bad for saying no to them. Uh, they did for a good long while, and then after my uh, surgery, it's interesting. Uh, they gave me about three weeks to think about whether or not I would proceed and you know follow their recommendations. But when I went back for that follow up appointment, my surgeon then said, based on how things looked. He really didn't see a need for me to go through with chemo, and that was a surprise to me. Well, at least you had some kind of legitimate academic opinion in that favor. Yes, yes, but certainly early on, you know, they wanted to do chemo, and I, I just kept refusing. No, and we've had many, many people on this show that declined. I mean, I declined chemo because it would not mm. have, going to help me. It was 20 years ago, and they said I was crazy. So... You know, I get that. And, and do, do you, have you ever found that there's a sense of survivor guilt that 
you know, oh, you didn't have chemo, like you get stigmatized for only having surgery? Yes, yes, I, I do feel that, honestly, from time to time. And, you know, because I uh, chose to also greatly modify my diet and I use a lot of holistic alternative means, sometimes I find some people, um, they feel somehow maybe threatened by that, you know, if they chose to do something different. And uh, so it's kind of been an interesting journey. So prior to your diagnosis, were you already fit and well and healthy and, and aware of nutritional, you know, decision making? Or you were like living at, at like, uh, you know, uh, Taco Bell? <laughs> no, I, I actually was very aware of fitness. I, I was actually a, a nationally f a certified fitness instructor for eight years. And so it's always been a huge part of my life. Uh, I always watch what I ate. But um, so, yeah, when I found out about my diagnosis, I was really shocked. Um, it was the last thing I expected. And I also got, you know, genetically tested, um, found out that it did not, you know, I did not inherit this, uh, you know, ovarian cancer. So I know that I picked it up, just acquired it through, you know, environmental exposure to toxins or, or maybe how I handled stress as well. Right. And again, we've had like health coaches and nutritionists and dietitians and athletes on the on the on the show and they've all gotten cancer. So mm -hmm. can you, is there really such a thing as prevention? I really believe there is, you know, in retrospect. I mean, I, I know it's kind of hard because no one really wants to think that, you know, it's their fault because it's not like that. It's it, we're not I'm not trying to assign blame or anything that doesn't help at all. But I think certainly being aware of, uh, you know, whatever different environment toxins are out there and just being aware of the foods we eat because certainly with the, you know, the GMOs, genetically modified, um, you know, organisms uh, that we have out there, uh, it definitely increases, I think, one's chances for developing cancer. You know, I was having a, a really interesting conversation a couple of weeks ago with a doctor about if you're in this preventative mode, how do you know you prevented something because you never got it? It's like this catch-22 of like your, where your brain explodes. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, it's, it's like, the, you know, we know people who maybe smoke and they never develop lung cancer, you know? No, like George Burns. Exactly. Right. 101, right. smoked every day, perfect, died, died of perfect health. <laughs> right. So uh, this list of credentials, I, I just want to run a few of them off because, again, I don't think I've ever repeated these words in this order. Um, bachelor's of Science in Physics, Associate Arts uh, in music major, master's of science in administration, master's of military operational art and science, and you study piano performance at San Francisco Conservatory of Music and the Eastman School. That's a lot. Yes, I have a lot of different interests. <laughs> <laughs> That's, I mean, I'm a concert pianist by trade as well. I went to school in Binghamton. I didn't get into Eastman, so I, I had to settle for a state school. But it was really, I had a lot of fun there. But Wow, that's great. Do you still play now, today? I do. I do. I, it's a huge part of me. Um, it's something that I realized probably too late. I mean, early on, I wanted to uh, become a concert pianist just full time. But I was told by my parents that you can't really make a solid living like that. And that's how I ended up doing what I did in the Air Force. Exactly. So, so to your credentials here, you are now the founder of uh, or you, you have been the founder of Keynotes for Life or Keynotes to Life. Tell us more about how you've taken your story this intense LinkedIn profile, the likes of which I haven't seen before, and how you're channeling it now to help people. Yes, uh, I go around the country now. I speak at different conferences, uh, whether it's to um, medical doctors, uh, cancer researchers, or to even you know high school students, because what I like to do is tie in the leadership lessons I've learned while serving in the military, because I certainly applied those in handling my own, you know, personal crisis with healing. And I think those lessons can equally, equally be applied to a business setting or, you know, any setting where decisions have to be made and there's a mission to be accomplished. And um, the other side of what I do is in holistic health coaching. And so I help my clients, 100% um, of them at this point in time, they all have cancer and some have actually done quite well. And I help them along the full spectrum, whether it's, you know, in the physical, emotional, or spiritual realm. And so in the physical realm, I, I help them with their nutrition, with exercise. And everyone is different. Uh, you know, I, I really believe in bio-individuality. 
And um, it's important to look at the emotional arena, too, because often unresolved conflicts will manifest themselves physically. And so I help my clients to identify, you know, what some of the core beliefs they have that may not serve them. And if they're open to working in the spiritual area, I help them in that area as well. So I'm reading here, you are a certified health minister for the Hallelujah Diet. You, you've piqued my interest. <laughs> yes, you know, and ironically, that that is actually my first foray into changing my diet. When uh, And it's interesting because three years before I even knew that I had cancer, I was actually in the Pentagon bookstore, uh, just went in to look for some books. And as soon as I went in there, the sales clerk there said to me, oh, you've got to get this book. This is the best book, you know, and it was called The Hallelujah Diet. And at the time, I was thinking, you know, I, I'm not into diets, you know, I'm into lifestyle changes, but certainly the hallelujah part of it I found intriguing. So I purchased the book and I started reading it that same night and I couldn't put it down because the author had basically had a baseball-sized tumor in his colon and uh, within a year of changing his diet, his uh, tumor disappeared no more cancer and all of his other physical issues disappeared. And so that's how I started dabbling in this uh, eating organic, raw, vegan, and juicing. I've always asked the, I've always postulated, I'll use an SAT word tonight, on the show, how many vegans get cancer? And there's no data in this country to show that. And I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing, but I'm, I'm just curious, going back to what I alluded to before that you could do all the right things, whatever right means for you mm -hmm. and still get sick. Absolutely. I think there really are no guarantees, but you know, as far as that study, uh, if you look at, there's a study that's uh, been done out in Loma Linda, California, because there's a large population of seventh day Adventists who practice, um, you know, eating vegan and they, it does show that they have lower rates of cancer across the board. It's a very interesting study. I would love to, to see that study. I'll see if I could get a copy of it. I know I've discussed that particular study with my doctor. No, it's, it's data. Like, I'm a data wonk. I come from the advertising industry, so I like data. I like to see numbers, quantify data. But it, it just fascinates me. Again, there's, we're so many people that are getting sick more especially in the under 50 crew. Cancer incidence in boomers and geriatrics increases because of early detection, where they're just finding more of it. But actual biological in incidence increase in the under 50 is legit. So we're getting it not because we're old. We're getting it because of, like you said, diet, environment, things you can and can't control. But let's, let's talk about the things you can control. Well, the things that you can control are your basically your attitude, you know, how we handle stress. Um, instead of internalizing things, I think it's important to learn how to process them in a healthy way. Uh, that includes meditation. And I'll tell you, it took me the longest time to be able to slow down enough. Um, it wasn't until I was literally on my deathbed <laughs> that I learned, you know, the importance of meditation. Um, and you know, some of the other things we can control, certainly the foods that we put in our mouth, um, you know, because even the Chinese have a saying that sickness originates from, from our mouths, things that we put into our mouths. And so I think that's something that's maybe hard for people to do. But at the same time, if you think about it, if we can, you know, create more awareness in people, then they'll realize, you know, for example, with, um, you know, sugars. Sugars are just hidden in all the different foods that we eat. And unless you develop that awareness, you know, things like high fructose corn syrup, which is really bad for your liver, um, you know, it, you can do a lot of damage without even knowing. No, and I, I agree. This is nutrition and cancer is something we've addressed at our events, at our webinars, our conferences and in meetings since day one that the, the, we were started nine years ago. It, it's a hot button topic, too, because honestly, for some people, if you're on chemo and you're nauseous, you're not going to go out and buy organic kale. You just want Carvel, and that's what's going to satisfy you for the day. So how how, do, how do, can you recognize, reconcile you know, reality with necessity and biology? 
I really think that our taste buds can actually be reprogrammed in a way. Uh, you know, certainly when I grew up, I, I grew up eating everything. You know, I ate, you know, beef, chicken, pork, fish, uh, just everything, dairy, lots of it. And um, But when I ended up in a hospital on a morphine IV, realizing that it did absolutely nothing to relieve any of my excruciating pain, that's actually when I made the decision you know, I knew what I had to do, and I, I just became vegan literally right then and there. Right. Um, and, and it takes a while. You know, the first five days, you'll feel kind of lousy, um, and, and you think you may, you know, you're starving and you can't make it. But then after that five days, it seems like something in your body switches, and it becomes easier. So now for me, I find that, you know, as long as I'm eating what I normally eat, you know, mostly raw vegan, I feel great. And if I somehow deviate, um, I can feel a difference. I could, you know, my, my body reacts differently. So that kind of keeps me, you know, going. Yeah. I just went on a 40 day, uh, legit like detox, not a, you know, like a apple diet. It was a real thing. And I have energy for the first time in my life and I lost 28 pounds of brown fat. So, wow. and, and I'm not tired anymore. So it's, it's the, I'm the byproduct of everything you just said. It's very strange to not be tired all the time and to, you know, feel your bones that, that I had bones. I didn't know I had bones. So something is as innocuous as that. And I'm all for it and I get it. And, and I actually had a silver dollar pancake with my son and I passed out for three hours. So I <laughs> yes. totally get like, that's how I used to eat. And it makes sense that I passed out for three hours with a, a, a dollar, a dime size pancake. How are you? Um, how are you doing these days? All these years later, do you have any side effects or, I mean, you didn't have the chemo, but we talked about post-traumatic stress and as a military vet, that's an issue. That's a hot button issue. Now we talked about that in the first segment with our two survivors here on the show. Is, is that mindful meditation? Is that another way of dealing with that? Yes, absolutely. I, I think, uh, breathing is huge. Uh, you know, learning to slow down to breathing and to breathe deeper because we often, you know, we're, we're kind of, I think, conditioned to just kind of do shallow breathing. And, um, yeah, I, I think uh, for me, certainly the trauma of being truly confronted with my own mortality and going through the major surgery, that's something that I have had to, to process even, you know, um, you know, months, years later. So I want to talk about your book, but there was one question you asked that I think is interesting to ask. Why do you think so many people are struggling with their health? Because McDonald's is cheaper than farmer's markets. That's why. And people mm -hmm. who go, who need those, who eat McDonald's and who have public assistance don't know that they can use public assistance at farmer's markets. Right. So our entire culture is backwards. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Anyway, so that, that wasn't a real question. I just wanted to that that we we have these like really it's too easy and too cheap to eat bad in this country and that's when most people choose to do it and not to make this about me for a second but it was really hard to remember to go to the store remember to buy the spinach and the you know it was imp i had to sh change everything what's crazy is there is a documentary on netflix um called i think it's called cooking we're genetically made to cook but our culture is slowly killing that. Yes. Mm -hmm. It's just ridiculous. So let, let's get back to, so you're writing a book. We always love when people are writing the book. It reminds me of, um, you know, uh, Dark and Stormy Night from Peanuts, that someone's just writing a book. But <laughs> but what is your book about? The book is basically about my story. It first starts off with my service to this country, how I was diagnosed with ovarian cancer when I was still active duty, and um, how I went into hospice, given a month to live, and how I healed uh, through holistic and alternative means. And so I want to share, you know, some very basic principles that I use to heal myself so that hopefully others won't have to uh, end up in the same boat that I did because uh, I could never have imagined uh, going through the amount of suffering and pain that I did. And uh, if I can just you know, help one person, it will have made my own journey uh, worth it. Again, incredibly inspiring. The, the, the list of things I have to repeat to let the listeners know who you are is endless. 
uh, Deanna One, founder of Keynotes to Life. What's the website? It's uh, DeannaOne.com. So it's D-E-A-N-N-A-W-O-N.com. And speaker, author, leadership consultant, holistic health coach, Air Force colonel, physicist, <laughs> young adult ovarian cancer survivor who was given one month to live, uh, associate music, uh, concert pianist. What else are you? Tell me something <laughs> I don't know you are. Well, I love studying languages, um, you know, foreign languages. And um, <laughs> yeah, so I, I don't know. There's a lot. Um, I have a lot of different interests. Uh, I, you know, I'm, I'm into live blood microscopy as well. Um, just love looking at uh, live blood and seeing what you can learn from it based on what you're eating. You had me at live blood microscopy. <laughs> it's basically where you can look, you know, when you go into a lab to do a standard lab test, what they do is usually they, they stain the blood and, you know, it's, it, it's been fixed. Um, when you look at live blood, it's still alive. And so you can actually see what's floating around in your blood, you know, whether you could see the white blood cells, you could see if your blood, uh, red blood cells are malformed, you know, they're not carrying enough oxygen or if they're all clumped together because, you know, you've eaten too much meat or too much sugar. It's, it's very, uh, it's a very interesting area. And you could see, um, little forms, uh, they're, they're called protits actually. And, um, they change based on the environment of the blood and they can change into things like um, bacteria, fungus, things like that, but it doesn't have to develop down that line. And so that, to me, really provides compelling evidence for you know just watching what we eat nutritionally because it has such a huge impact on our blood. I'm just going to say, Dana, one remarkable human being. Thank you for joining us. On this, and thank you for your service to our country. Thank you. Congratulations on surviving stupid cancer, and good luck with everything you do. Oh, thank you so much, Matthew. It was great being on here with you. All right. Take care. Be well. Okay. Thank you. Marianne, did you want to just hit up on the, the PTSD again? It's a theme for the night. Uh, yeah, I would really love to. Um you know, being a part of this community, this stupid cancer community, um, as the people in this room know, uh, I've been very, very involved and very active for the last three years. Um, it, it's, it can be a little overwhelming. Um, and I, you know, I myself have had some some issues recently which is why people haven't seen much of me recently yeah it's uh it's a little hard when you see friends um who have passed on you know you 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 know it's coming it it you don't know if the it is who it is going to hit but you know it does come for for people and you know it just it just takes over sometimes and just the it's the trigger it's the reminder and and we live and breathe with our own community out there and we know what people are going through in active treatment surviving cancer relapsing we know it it's it's the it's the world we choose to live in and how do you handle that along with alcohol? Well, <laughs> along with dealing with your, your, your own stuff, because sometimes like you personally feel like you're breaking down. Yep. So it's just like you, you find your rocks. Yeah. And there you feel like they're coming right towards your face. Well, we can do an entire series of shows on navigating PTSD and living in your living in your own world, living in an emotional bubble. Yeah, well said, well said, <laughs> Hannah for the win. Yes, definitely. But you know, one one thing I really want to communicate to everybody: I've been very remiss in 
talking to my stupid cancer family because I've been very withdrawn from everybody in my stupid cancer family. And I feel really horrible about that because I love all you guys. Um, but I've been talking to my outside friends and family. And however you get it out of yourself, you just need to get it out of yourself. So. Well, on that note, another great episode of the Stupid Cancer Show. And it is now time for our closing sequence. Prepare to activate. Uh, I hear there's rumors on the uh, internets. You ever seen a grown man naked? And so, to all of you, a fond farewell. Hooray, I'm helping. You are a meathead. Oh, Magoo, you've done it again. That was so terrible, I think you gave me cancer. Okay, folks, that's our show, the 378th episode of The Stupid Cancer Show. Never miss an episode by subscribing to the podcast on iTunes and following us on SoundCloud. I'd like to thank our guests, Hannah Klitschberg and Deanna One, and Marion Stafford for dropping in tonight. Broadcasting since 2007, The Stupid Cancer Show is a production of Stupid Cancer, the largest charity comprehensively addressing young adult cancer online at stupidcancer.org. Coming to you from the chemo deck. And on behalf of my team here at The Stupid Cancer Show, we hope you had as much fun as we did poking a stick at Stupid Cancer. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you back here on the next exciting podcast of The Stupid Cancer Show. Goodbye, folks.